What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. The local news you need. For everyday people to understand. Wilmington's Morning News. They just say it like a real person. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Welcome into a Friday edition of Wilmington's Morning News, October the 21st, 2022. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. 910-763-4000 is our phone number as we approach Election Day just 18 days away. Day two of early voting kicks off here in the state of North Carolina. Just after 8 o'clock this morning, we'll, we'll bring you uh, all of those pertinent details uh, coming up a little bit later on here on Wilmington's Morning News. Again, our phone number is 910-763-4000. Oh, we start off with an update on a story from yesterday morning surrounding an individual who, uh, or rather a, a fatal car accident between a motorcycle. We're now learning some of the details on this as the Wilmington Police Department has released the name of a man who died in the crash that uh, that involved a moped that he was driving and a pickup truck on Wednesday night. Now, we originally told it was a motorcycle and um, uh, obviously a moped is some sort of motorcycle, but it's not a you know, typical chopper or something like that that you would see. We learned that Stephen Wayne J Jenkins, who was 63 years old, died from his injuries. The crash happened in the 400 block of Colville Avenue around 730 on Wednesday night. They have not announced any charges in that case yet. We do know that one person is dead, unfortunately, with that accident here in New Hanover County. Taking a look at some other news here across Wilmington, Anthony Jackson was sentenced to seven years in prison. This is after he was found guilty of a distribution of a quantity of methamphetamine. That's according, and that's the charge brought forward by the U.S. Department of Justice. Jackson, who is a 32-year-old resident of Wilmington, allegedly sold an undercover agent 27 grams of meth. Law enforcement also says that he had a semi-automatic handgun in the car that he drove to deal. Earlier this year, Jackson was one of several people arrested in an organized crime drug enforcement task force operation that took place as part of various agencies across the uh, state of North Carolina, but specifically here in New Hanover County. They arrested and charged 20 people in various things uh, all across the state, including Raleigh, Charlotte, Wilmington, um, you had people in Navassa, Clarkton, Leland, all over the state with this um, 
big drug task force, and he has uh, been found guilty and will be likely serving some pretty serious time in jail for his crimes of distributing large quantities of methamphetamine. So that's the latest on that story, getting more drugs off of our street here across southeastern North Carolina. And in another story this morning, law enforcement responded to a crash at the intersection of Shipyard Boulevard and South 17th Street around 2 p.m. yesterday. And it was a bit of a, this wasn't just your regular fender bender. According to the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office, two deputies were driving with their sirens and lights active when a pickup truck failed to stop and collided with one of the deputies' vehicles. Fortunately, nobody was injured, but the sheriff's office did write that the Wilmington Police Department will issue a citation for the driver of the pickup truck. Taking a look at the scene here, this is right at the intersection where the Wendy's is at Shipyard Boulevard, and uh, none of the cars seem too heavily damaged, um, so not sure how high speed of a uh, pursuit that was maybe the guy uh, had you know some loud music on or something like that or maybe just wasn't paying attention that led to him uh, crashing into a law enforcement vehicles or law enforcement uh, officer's vehicle again fortunately no injuries on that situation out of the shipyard boulevard area here this morning And in some other news across the region, well, state agencies have paused funding for the Columbus County Sheriff's Office. Now, you might ask yourself, why? Well, this is all surrounding some racist comments and some racially charged comments made by Columbus County Sheriff Jody Green, who was suspended earlier this month pending a public hearing on a petition for his removal. The North Carolina Governor's Highway Safety Program requires grant recipients to comply with federal civil right laws. Program Director Mark Edsel signed a letter stating that a $125,329 grant for a traffic team at the Columbus County Sheriff's Office was suspended. Later in the letter, Ezel writes that the program would consider reinstating the grant should steps be taken to alleviate these concerns. It reads as follows. The statement and actions described in news reports and verified peti- and the verified petition suggest that the Columbus County Sheriff's Office may not comply with Title IX of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, as well as other provisions required in this agreement of conditions. The North Carolina Department of Public Safety also sent a letter to the sheriff's office. The department states that they suspended their consideration of funding for a uh, requested project. And this uh, response reads as follows. Given the nature of the comments, the GCC is concerned that the Columbus County Sheriff's Office cannot meet expectations for compliance with state and federal laws against non-discrimination which are which are a precondition to any award that's according to the dps executive director caroline farmer farmer also noted that the sheriff's office did not provide the documentation required for them to consider the award as the letter states she concluded by saying that they may be reconsidered if steps are taken to reduce their concerns so the second part of this this uh, proposed grant from the north carolina department of public safety doesn't appear that that grant had the correct or proper documentation to even happen in the first place um, but they're also of course citing concerns news reports about 
Columbus County Sheriff Jody Green, but the North Carolina Governor Highway Safety Program, well, that money is gone, and um, you know that's $125,000 for a rural uh, law enforcement agency like the Columbus County Sheriff's Office. That's a huge blow. Now, again, this uh, petition for removal hearing is scheduled to take place here in a couple of weeks. It actually is scheduled to start on Monday. Excuse me. It uh, actually takes place Monday morning at 10 a.m. I for, forgot about that. So um, we'll know presumably Monday afternoon, maybe Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon, whether Jody Green will be removed for, from his post on a permanent basis. He's on a temporary removal right now uh, but as the petition made its way to court and now we will wait and see with this hearing on monday morning at 10 o'clock uh, if we get any of those details in before tuesday we will of course bring them to you on a tuesday edition of wilmington's morning news all right taking a look outside this morning a couple of degrees warmer than we saw yesterday 42 degrees at the wilmington international airport how about this for you 46 down at oak island that's like six or seven degrees warmer than it was yesterday a nice start to the day up there, but it is at freezing in Keenansville, 32 degrees there, 41 in North Myrtle Beach, 38 in Whiteville, and 39 degrees over in Elizabethtown this morning. Looking outside for your day today, it is going to be a gorgeous Friday here across the Cape Fear region. Temperatures in the lower to middle 70s. Sunshine, no cl- uh, very few clouds, uh, no chance of rain showers at all, and it's going to be really nice throughout Saturday as well. Upper 70s for uh, tomorrow, that's nice. It's, uh, p- some possibility of some rain showers move in Sunday, but temperatures will still be in the middle 70s. And uh, back into the 80s heading into next week. So uh, even though fall weather has been felt at least overnight and into some of the early morning hours, it is not here permanently. We'll jump back into the 80s through the early and middle parts of next week. So a nice weekend he expected here across the Cape for region. Lots of uh, really cool events uh, going on. There's also the... Uh, there's also a, a drive-through uh, that is taking place today for the Greek Fest that kicks off uh, this morning at eleven o'clock. It runs today and tomorrow from eleven to seven thirty, and then on Sunday runs from eleven until five. That's over at the uh, Saint Nicholas's Greek Orthodox Orthodox Church, where uh, those events took place. The larger Greek fest took place earlier this year. They're doing a quick drive-up event that is taking place um, again t- tonight. Today, 11, tomorrow, 11, and then Sunday from 11 until 5 at uh, St. Nicholas's there on South College Road. A whole bunch of other events. Uh, corn mazes are now open throughout the uh, area um, You know, at a couple of different places here across southeastern North Carolina. There's some outdoor events. Veg Out Wilmington takes place this weekend. I know uh, our friends over at WECT have their Get Fix, uh, Get Fit with Six event taking place tomorrow for outdoor events. You're not going to find a better fall weekend here across southeastern North Carolina. All right, it's now 616 on Wilmington's Morning News. It's a pleasure to have you here on this Friday edition. Coming up just after 635 this morning, the walls are set to come down. And no, this is not any sort of uh, 
Soviet walls coming down or anything like that. They're coming down at a local high school. This is up in Pender County as mold has absolutely ravaged Topsail Middle School. Walls are expected to start coming down as early as this weekend. We'll bring you the latest details on that in a years-long battle over mold in the school system at 6.35 this morning. At 7.05 this morning, we'll catch up with Bruce Kemp. He is a member of the New Hanover County Board of Elections. And there's an interesting change, a last-minute change that was made to the public's availability to view the opening of polls across the state of North Carolina. We'll talk to Bruce about that late, that uh, last second change, literally within 48 hours of early voting starting, and some of the concerns with the board in general of their last-minute decision-making and the um, kind of the attitude that they set at a public level. Bruce Kemp will have the details at 7.05 this morning. At 7.35, it does appear that plans to develop the west bank of the Cape Fear River have at least stalled for now. We'll bring you the latest details on that just after 7.35. And at 8.05 this morning, as day two of early voting kicks off across southeastern North Carolina, we'll connect the chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party who will join us to talk about the importance of local elections coming up and the importance for you to get out and either vote early throughout five locations in the county or on Election Day itself. We'll connect to the chairman of the county Republican Party. Joins us just after 8 o'clock this morning. It's now 618. We'll grab our first commercial break on the other side. Would you believe it if I told you it is week 10 of high school football? We'll let you know what games are coming up where and what time right after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Play the $25,000 payoff on 107.9 and 980 The Wave, and you could win $100 and qualify for the 25K grand prize. It's 23 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. And as I mentioned before our break, it is going to be a gorgeous night tonight for week 10 of high school football. And for all the games kicking off tonight across the Cape Fear region, a local matchup here between Laney and Hoggard that takes place at 630 tonight. Another relatively local match as well. Ashley will be up in uh, Pender at Topsail at 6.30. New Hanover will be over at West Brunswick. That's a 6.30 kickoff. South Brunswick at North Brunswick at 6.30 as well. East Bladen will play at Red Springs at 7. West Bladen will be at St. Paul's at 7. And Wallace Rose Hills, uh, Wallace Rose Hill, I should say, will be at East Dublin at 7 as uh, well. Whiteville at Trask at 7.30. East Columbus at South Columbus, 7.30. And Pender at West Columbus at 7.30 as well. So those are all of the games that we are tracking tonight for Week 10 of high school football. We'll bring you all of those scores coming up on a Monday edition of Wilmington's Morning News from 6 to 9 a.m. right here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. So taking a look at some... Uh, now uh, transitioning some news this morning to the national level. 
Well, a pretty um, frustrating decision yesterday by the United States Supreme Court, specifically Justice Amy Comey Barrett, in her decision not to take up a lawsuit against the Biden administration surrounding student loan forgiveness. Now, this obviously goes back a couple of this goes back a couple of months now to when President Joe Biden made a last ditch effort to attempt to um, try and buy, essentially buy votes ahead of the midterm election. Now we're learning out, we're now learning that um, that's really not having much of an impact at all. But Supreme Court Justice Amy Comey Barrett on Thursday turned down a Wisconsin tax group request to block President Biden's student loan forgiveness program. While Barrett didn't comment an earlier October the 6th ruling by the U.S. District Judge William, uh, U.S. District of William Gerbach had d- dismissed the case, ruling that the act of paying taxes did not give the, quote, Brown County Taxpayers Association grounds to challenge the actions. So this group, this taxpayer group in Wisconsin was saying, hey, we're taxpayers. We're, you know, we're going to sue the federal government. We don't agree with what is going on here. So we're going to sue the federal government. And in this case, it has been it was uh, determined to be blocked by um, it was blocked here or chosen not to go forward, I should say, by the United States Supreme Court. Now, there was a second legal battle as well out of the uh, district in St. Louis, Missouri, in which six Republican-led states had raised, quote, important and significant challenges to the up to $20,000 student debt relief plan. But according according to the U.S. District Judge Henry Autry in St. Louis, Missouri, they lacked the necessary legal standing to be able to pursue the case. Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, and South Carolina had alleged that Biden's plan skirted congressional authority and threatened the state's future tax revenue and money earned by state entities that they invest in or service loans. It's not just those groups that believe that President Biden skirted congressional authority. Nancy Pelosi said earlier this year that Biden doesn't have the authority to do that and that it needed congressional approval. Their case is one of a number of challenges that various state attorney generals and legal groups have filed to seek to put a hold on the debt forgiveness plan for people who had taken out loans to pay for college. The decision by the United States Supreme Court is an interesting one as it was an it was a deemed to be in a quote emergency matter now this is not the end of it at least from my vantage point and in my opinion there are still many other legal ch- challenges that are still forward right now um is it the is it the end of it i don't think so um you know these legal challenges can be brought up in various district courts uh, and all you need is literally a judge to side with you, and it kind of gets the ball rolling. We've seen that a lot over the last couple of years, at least how I understand it. So we'll wait and see if the uh, any district courts take it up, and then a superior court, and then maybe the United States Supreme Court, somebody besides Amy Comey Barrett. Again, she didn't give the rationale or reasoning as to why she um, – did not want to hear this case or not bring it forward to the United States Supreme Court. She just rejected it. And that's, uh, of course, very concerning for individuals that once again feel that you know, we 
got somebody in here. We put somebody forward that had a you know, mindset that should have been opposed to this, a conservative mindset from the judiciary, and knowing that this is very much should be a uphill legal battle. And as of right now, it's just not appearing to be that way, as uh, students could, or rather individuals, could have nearly $20,000 worth of student loans forgiven. So, um a potential small uh, setback for that, but I, again, have a strong suspicion that moving forward, some other legal actions will come forward, and some of them could potentially even be successful. So we'll just have to wait and see on that. All right, as we approach the bottom of the hour this morning for parents up at one Pender County Middle School, well, it looks like they are finally moving forward with some significant mold issues that have been going on for years now. We'll have those details plus your phone calls at 910-763-4000 coming up right after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennig. So Obliterated's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I had the best time. It was challenging, but it was like the show. It doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're not. This was a dream. It's no fun. Genuinely. And if it wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like it was. Hey, it was fine. Because I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. Whatever you've got to say. We're not judging anybody. We're all friends here. Call us now. 910-763-4000. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Friday morning to you, 6.36. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. Thanks for spending some time with us. 910-763-4000 is our phone number if you'd like to call into the program this morning. Well, for some parents up in Pender County whose children go to Topsail Middle School, well, they are finally able to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief after a years-long battle over mold issues within the school. Looks like it is finally going to be handled and uh, challenged and completed by the school district up there in Pender County. This is, of course, following public outcry and recent pressure from board members. It's been more than a year that poor air quality has been reported in several schools across the Pender County school system. And at an emergency meeting last night, the Pender County Board of Education approved $86,259 worth of a contract to begin deep cleaning Topsill Middle School this weekend. Specifically, they'll be clearing out stagnant air as well as knocking down walls where water has accumulated, as both have contributed to significant mold growth within the school. Parents did reach out to the district saying that their children were complaining of headaches, watery eyes, runny noses, and other allergy-like symptoms since the beginning of the 2021 school year. And while a lot of folks would just kind of pass that off as just allergies and nothing to worry about, well, in fact, you know, in a situation like that, a school setting, mold, or even in your house, mold could very well be the culprit. 
The school board hired a firm to provide a district-wide assessment, but that assessment has been going on now for nearly 12 months, and they were this district was waiting for the full report to be available before they did anything. At a meeting just 10 days ago on October the 11th, board members at, a, at the board members heard from Cheatham and Associates who confirmed that all of the schools had been evaluated and that Topsail Middle School was tackled as a priority. Cheatham's preliminary report found several spaces problematic for high CO2 levels, elevated mold spore counts, and negative air pressure within the school. One parent by the name of Ashley Satoris, who has two children at Topsail Middle School, said, quote, I'm glad to see the Pender County school system finally taking steps to fix the issue at Topsail Middle School. Although small steps in the big picture, uh, she said it's been a long time and a long, exhausting fight to get where we are today. Contractor Advanta Clean was unanimously approved uh, last night to begin HVAC and duct cleaning at the school in the six through 800 blocks of classrooms within the uh, school system there. ServPro, which is a local company, will begin mold remediation next week in the 700 block worth of classrooms once affected walls are torn down. AdvantaClean crews will set up equipment after school today on Friday to begin work by Saturday morning, and it will continue during the weekend. Uh, it will continue during the weekend and during weekday evenings without staff and students' presence, likely through Thursday of next week, according to a, a release posted to the Pender County Schools website. And work on all three buildings within Topsail Middle School are expected to wrap up by mid-November, so about three weeks or so. Starting Monday, the 24th, students in rooms 703, 707, and 709 will be reallocated to modular outdoor structures until cleanup is complete. The Pender County School maintenance staff will demolish and repair the exterior walls within that, uh, those classrooms. Topsail Middle School Principal Jacob Lawrence told parents during a PTO meeting on Wednesday that the temporary outdoor structures are being cleaned for the first time since used during the 2017-2018 school year when they became makeshift classrooms for demo work. Board Chair Brad George called the situation a quote nightmare during the Board of Education meeting that took place on the 11th of October. Wall and ceiling tiles will be removed and replaced by staff due to water damage within the school as well as being stained, according to the Chief Auxiliary Officer Michael Taylor, who inherited these issues when he took the job back on August the 1st. Wow, what a terrible situation to walk into there. Very similar to kind of what you saw or what you've continued to see over at the Wilmington Housing Authority, literally falling into a uh, dumpster fire of a problem day one. Once parents began speaking out against their children having symptoms consistent with allergies and mold issues last year, the Pender County School System hired an industrial hygienist from EC Southeast to perform an evaluation. The results recommended a consultation with an HVAC contractor to correct elevated carbon dioxide levels and for all surfaces mold to be cleaned with an EPA-approved antimicrobial. 
Pender County Schools hired Cheatham and Associates at the beginning of the last school year for the cost of nearly $88,000 to perform separate district-wide HVAC assessments. And this evaluation would be looking at the current equipment and recommend replacement and maintenance for current equipment. I said they hired this company at the beginning of the last school year. It's been over 12 months. Initially, the Pender County Board of Education said it would not begin any remediation until all schools were assessed, but parents have continued hounding district leadership to do something. As staff installed air scrubbers with high-quality HEPA filters throughout the buildings in the interim, Pender County then hired a third company known as the L Group, EL Group, at the start of the 2020 school year just a few months ago for the cost of $37,000 as this firm was tasked with a district-wide indoor air quality assessment also beginning with Topsail Middle School. And in a phone call at the October the 11th school board meeting, it presented its findings to make its preliminary suggestions. Isn't that interesting? This one group, L Group, was hired at the beginning of this school year, which has been in session for, what, less than two months or a little over two months? They were able to do a whole district-wide assessment. And meanwhile, this other group was paid nearly $88,000, and they have, and the, and it, the, as of October the 11th, they still weren't done. L Group's representatives explained that there were, quote, systemic issues within the HVAC systems within the Pender County school system and their crews found faulty equipment to be dirty, not well-maintained, and rusty. The group's suggestion was, though, uh, to uh, thoroughly clean the air ducts as expediently as possible as a starting point to help clear up air quality issues. It also pointed to many areas, especially in the 700 building, with water intrusion and elevated moisture, as well as high CO2 levels. The firm recommended sealing off the area from the remainder of the building while remediation is done, and ServPro will put up a containment wall before doing any necessary work on those three rooms, 703, 707, and 709. During the meeting, the board acknowledged ongoing problems at Topsail Middle School and also noted that the industrial hygienist assessment from January of this year, quote, didn't see some of the issues. Member Ken Smith said that the district's maintenance team has been short-staffed and not been able to make routine maintenance. And that would very well add up with what we've seen with a lot of other government utilities and work. We've seen a lot of specifically maintenance and um, jobs like that in various municipalities and school districts. Those are the, the some of the positions that are struggling big time. Board member Ken Smith said the reality is with fewer people we have, we're putting out a lot of fires, not allocating human resources to take care of preventative maintenance, which would have prevented this from escalating. Once the remediation is complete, indoor air quality testing will be done again, according to the district and according to one parent, Ashley Satora. She says at the end of the day, the students and staff deserve to breathe fresh and clean air. It's so, yeah, pretty hard to argue with that statement there. So what do we take away from this? Well, first, um, definitely questions about this company that they paid $88,000 to to do this um, assessment of the school that's taken at this point over 12 months. And then number two, a, and I think arguably the biggest takeaway from this, 
is that your voice does in fact matter. The reason that remediation is going to begin at the Pender County, or rather up at the uh, up at Topsail Middle School this weekend, actually later today, crews will be on scene installing presumably uh, you know some pieces of remediation equipment. At this case, in less than twelve hours, the reason that's happening is because parents were relentless. The reason that's happening is because people spoke up and made their voice heard. And it's too often that individuals are unfortunately satisfied with just making comments behind the scenes and not really making their voice heard. And in a lot of cases, yeah, you might feel that your that your voice goes ignored. And nobody hears it and it doesn't matter. In some cases that might be true. But if you don't attempt if you're okay to just sit on the sideline and just allow a problem like this mold in your children's school for well over a year and you're just going to allow that to take place and not comment on anything about it, you can't be upset with the result. So for parents up in Pender County, absolutely fantastic news to hear that their uh, now months and months of back and forth has finally led to them getting uh, the remediation that they not only need but deserve up at the Pender County uh, school system, and specifically Topsail Middle School. It starts with the middle school, and I assume there are many other schools within the district that have similar problems that will be remediated over the coming months, hopefully. All right, it's now 647 on Wilmington's Morning News. It's great to have you alongside this morning. Our uh, phone number here is 910-763-4000. That's 910-763-4000. We will grab our final commercial break of the 6 o'clock hour. We'll have more news from across the United States and the state of North Carolina coming up after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980. The Wave. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. It's great to have you alongside this morning. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. So as we approach Election Day, there are, of course, a lot of races that are being followed. And it seems like, and I'm not saying this to to try and um, you know gaslight anything or make it seem like that you shouldn't get out there and vote, but it does seem like that polling is really starting to um, separate, or at least in some cases, and get close in others. For example, and I know that we are very far disconnected from the state of New York, but I have to bring this up. A poll out yesterday in New York by WNYT Television and Survey USA has Kathy Hochul at just plus six. Now, why is that so surprising and a shocking poll? Not because she's plus six, but looking back at this same survey, they conducted this survey in August, two months ago, and Hochul was plus 24. She was plus 24 60 days ago in the poll, 55 to 31. The new poll is 47-41. That is an unbelievable margin to close in a period of time like that. And that's Lee Zeldin that's running against her, the Republican in the state of New York. But I think you can look at polling like this and races like this and extrapolate it into other things. 
because it's not like the only situation and it's not the only race that is being followed. It's a big race for sure. But I think it kind of sets the standard and sets the trend for what you'll see across many other races in the country as well. Is that there is an evacuation from Democrat candidates in the Democrat Party. When you've got a gubernatorial race in New York that is practically within the margin of error in terms of polling. Typical margin of error for a poll like that is three to four and a half, five percent. That's your typical margin of error. When you've got a poll that's practically in the margin of error for a gubernatorial race in New York, that's wild. And you're starting to see the shift in the generic ballots in just one month, September to October. These are generic ballot polls. The New York Times-Siena College poll, used to, was it was D plus two in September. It's now R plus four. The CBS News poll was R plus one. It's now R plus two. The Harvard-Harris poll was D plus two. It's now R plus six. The big data poll was R plus one. It's now R plus five. The Economist poll was D plus two. It's now R plus one. Monmouth was R three. It's now R six. Politico was D plus four. It's now D plus one. And Rasmussen has gone from R plus one to R plus seven. All of this in about 30 days. And looking at this, the Real Clear Politics average, they have changed ratings on 17 house races that were in toss-up categories to now leaning Republican. So you're starting to see the coalescing of this data. We're still at this point, it's interesting to note, we're still 18 days away from the election. Now, we've seen in years past that political polling isn't always the most accurate. And you can even go back to the midterm elections, or rather to the to the presidential election in 2020. And look at some of the polling there in races, obviously, besides the presidential race. You know, candidates, Democrats, supposed to win by... One or two, according to polling, the Democrat wins by two or three. I mean, you can even look at that here in the state of North Carolina with Cal Cunningham. Andy Jackson over at the Civitas Institute had this tweet out yesterday. In the North Carolina Senate race that took place in 2020, Real Clear Politics had... Cal Cunningham up by 2.6% in their average polling. He lost. Tom Tillis beat him. He lost that race by plus uh, by 1.8%. So the polling was an average of was almost 4 or was at this point 3 percentage points off. It was the same thing in 2016 when Richard Burr uh, got reelected to this seat that he's serving right now. Real Clear Politics had him up by two. And that's an aggregate of polling. He won by 5.7. So when you go back now and look at Real Clear Politics and Ted Budd is at two, a 2.8 percentage point up in average polling, 
Well, details indicate that Republicans well outperformed those polls, at least here in the state of North Carolina. Again, Cal Cunningham, if you looked at the polling, was going to be our next U.S. senator. And yes, there were some late minute things that happened. He had some you know, controversial stuff with an affair and you know being seen uh, sneaking out of his sister's house to head to a debate at like five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, get all that. But you're looking at a, a guy that was up by nearly three percentage points in polling and then lost by almost 2%. So I think, at least in, in my estimation, it seems like, I and especially in what we're dealing with now, the political climate that we're in at this moment, I think you'll see an even wider stretch in polling. I think you'll see an even bigger difference in comparison to years past in terms of the sample, the spread between polling Margin of error, and then the actual results on election day. I genuinely believe that. And again, I think you can extrapolate a lot from that North, uh, uh, that New York gubernatorial race. When a race like that can be so close, I think it puts a lot of other races in question. But that doesn't mean that you should say, though, that the Republicans have it in the bag and we shouldn't be concerned. Absolutely not. The red wave doesn't happen. It's something that you have to do. You've got to get out. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen. Set an alarm to win free money. Listen at 5 past the hour, weekdays 8 to 5, and play the $25,000 payoff on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. It's 7.06. Welcome in to a Friday edition of Wilmington's Morning News, October the 21st, 2022. It's great to have you alongside. 910-763-4000 is our phone number here this morning. We will catch up with the chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party. We'll connect in one hour here this morning. We'll give you an update on the West Bank of the Cape Fear River coming up here in just 30 minutes. Well, day two of early voting kicks off across the state of North Carolina just after 8 o'clock this morning. And uh, yesterday, we'll bring you all the vote totals from uh, Brunswick and New Hanover County coming up here in just a little bit. But I got a couple of emails, phone calls, and text messages yesterday about a late-minute concerning change that the North Carolina Board of Elections has made. Joining us now on the program locally, Bruce Kemp is on the New Hanover County Board of Elections, and he has the latest details on this. Bruce, good morning, sir. Thanks for the time, and uh, hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you, Nick. Um, you know, part of this is just the fact that it happened, you know, a day, uh, two days before uh, early voting started. And reading from the email from the senior counsel of the state board, Paul Cox, he says uh, this new guidance discusses the laws that provide for public viewing of specific poll opening and vote counting procedures. It provides guidance for how the public viewing should be conducted in an orderly fashion, always ensuring the security of the voting site and voting materials. 
and the integrity of the elections process. Nobody can disagree with that. The challenge is it comes, you know, within two days. Here's the here's a key sentence, though. It recently has come to our attention that such public viewing plans are being organized more broadly than ever occurred previously. And we wanted to ensure that poll workers have the tools they need to handle this process uniformly and in an orderly fashion. So it sounds like they heard that more public people, general people, are planning to come watch them open and close the poll. And that caused concern. So they changed the rules at the last minute and prevents our observers who are appointed by uh, the Republican and Democrat party chairs from being able to see them open and close the polls each day. And in order to accomplish this, they drilled into the nuances of the actual regulation and sort of changed the definition of opening or closing a poll to be the viewing of the tape that the machine prints in order to see that there's no no votes cast before and that all the votes are counted at the end. But every day, they open and close the poll. They take all the ballots out of the, um, out of the vote counting machine, a DS-200, and they return them to the county uh, board office, and they match up things to say, we have the same number of authorization to vote forms as we have ballots cast. They do a bunch of things that demonstrate integrity. And those are things our observers can no longer see. Now, you know, if, if you hadn't seen the video from other states where you saw election workers pull trunks out from underneath tables and cast, put ballots into scanners, you'd say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of okay with what's happened. But after you see that, you go, this is not the time to make that kind of change. And they could have done, if they had to make a change, because they're concerned about general members of the public coming into the polls, they could have sliced this a different way. It's just very disappointing. It's very bad optics. We're talking to Bruce so Kemp. what I would, yes, go ahead. Well, we're talking to Bruce Kemp this morning. He's with the uh, New Hanover County. He's a member of the New Hanover County Board of Elections. Uh, so, uh, Bruce, we had an election, surprisingly, not too long ago, back in May. The primary was supposed to happen in March. It got pushed back and forth because of, um, you know, redistricting and legal battles. What was the process in May just a few months ago with this? How did that work in, in the May election? My understanding was it, it went quite well. Um, the, we, for the first time, the state board allowed members of the public. I mean, these are people who aren't necessarily um, appointed uh, observers from the parties, but members of the public could go in and watch the opening and closing of the poll for the first time. And it was a giant, great step forward that our county board had some um, cause for that to occur, because we pointed out that the regulation allows for it, and the state board allowed it. And now they've reversed that, but made it worse, because now, because we have seen and know um, as observers what's happening. We have trained observers who observed in the primary, and now they're being told they can't do things that they could do just a couple of months ago. And they made this change two days before early voting started. I think that's what is so is so surprising and shocking to me, Bruce, is you know, 
we can go back and look, and I don't intend to sit here and rehash the 2020 elections this morning, but there is a big question. There are a lot of big questions being asked. There's a lot of interest from the public's vantage point in secure and fair and free elections. And I don't know of anybody that's against that. And then when you, you know, you make these last minute changes, I'm not saying that anything nefarious is being done, Bruce, but it, it sure as hell opens up the conversation to it. It does. And, you know, Nick, uh, part of my experience, I've, I was a, a chief judge or a judge in Virginia for about 20 elections. <clears throat> and so I've been on that side of the table and I always treated observers like they were a part of the um, whole process. They are they're looking to see is everybody okay? Is everybody doing what they're supposed to do? And they would bring to my attention things that they were concerned about and I would have a discussion with them about it. And that's what observers are supposed to do is to be able to say, Hey, look, I watched everything seemed to be good. And so you get members of the public or members of the parties, the Republican and Democrat parties, who can tell you that things look good inside the poll, what they watched. And those are very positive affirmations to have made. And now the whole opening and closing process can't be observed. When you talk about the late and last minute change to this that was made, and I want to be clear here, this was made by the state board of elections, correct? This is not a decision that the local board unanimously made. Correct. So, but training has been going on for months now with poll observers and things like that. And they were all told that they could do this and were planning on doing this. And now the rug's been, from what I understand, the rug has now been pulled out from under them. That's true. And, um, you know, some of the nuances for the very first day, probably, probably too much in the weeds. But, you know, at the end of the day, you'd like to say, how many ballots were cast today? And did, did, did the numbers match up? And you go, well, we, we are not able to see that. And we have been able to see it in the past. And it's just very unfortunate. It's just a, it's, like I said before, it's bad optics. And it's, it's not about clear and transparent. Uh, elections, <clears throat> which is the mission that we have. But the challenge is apparently there was a safety concern or a concern about there being so many people that they would cause a problem. Um, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's just the wrong solution to um, a proposed problem that we don't know the details about. Well, and and don't, yeah, I mean, of course, there could be a, uh, you mentioned uh, the public's interest in this, and you could have a large group of people, but it seems like you would handle that when it arises, right? I mean, if if there's a security problem, if the polls are being mobbed in the morning with people coming in to look at the, the zero count coming out of the machine, you know, then maybe you, you, you go back to the drawing board. But from what I understand, I mean, yes, you've got people. But how many people are we talking about at these voting locations, Bruce? A, a handful? Well, it is a handful. Mm, we're not talking about we're, we're 70 people standing people in front. We're not talking about 70 people trying to get in and break down the doors at 7 o'clock in the morning. We're talking about like a dozen people maybe. And, and, you know, I don't know what the state board heard. They, they may have heard something in particular locations that caused them to be concerned. And, they, and, and I would say they overreacted. And I hope they correct it before this election and one stop is done. They probably won't because they'll say, all right, now we're back and forth. And then they have to admit they were wrong. <laughs> and they may not want to do that. But, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful before we get to the Muni a year from now, that all this is squared away so that everybody knows what's going on and can 
can prepare and, and report what they see in, a, in an orderly fashion. Bruce Kemp joins us this morning. He's a member of the uh, New Hanover County Board of Elections. So, Bruce, as it stands right now, pub members that wanted to uh, – what, what was the public allowed to view beforehand, before this late memo came out? Before – in the um, in the in the primary. Yes, sir. Um, the public or they could be the Republican and Democrat observers, both, could go in and watch them unlock the machine that counts votes and see that there are no ballots in the bin. They can see that the tape that prints out says no votes have been cast. It can look to see that it looks like the right names are on the tape for counting ballots. And, and at the end of the day, they say, okay, you know, 500 people voted in this precinct. And the machines closed up and the ballots are taken out. And then the next morning, they can see the machine opened up. There's still no ballots inside the machine. The machine says 500 votes have been cast. It agrees with yesterday's number. We're happy nothing happened to this equipment overnight. And now we don't know what it closed out at. And the next morning, you don't know how it opened. And so you say, boy, I wonder if any ballots got put in the machine overnight. And you go, we don't know. Well, we do know because the procedures in North Carolina say you have to match up the authoriz authorization to vote forms. When a voter comes and checks in, they sign something to say who they are, and they match those forms up to the quantity of ballots. So there's plenty of control. But the optics are now you won't let – we could see it, and now we can't see it. It's like, come on, guys. Well, we can yeah. do better than this. Yeah, and so so from what I understand, that they could view it yesterday, which was the first day of early voting, and then they'll be able to view it on election day. But for every other day, including this morning, Monday, starting Monday morning and through the rest of early voting, they will not be allowed to see that. And all of this happened. They will. Go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, and this all this they, happening they, about forty eight hours before the start of the election. It's not like they haven't had wor months to work on this, Bruce. Exactly, and. You know, it, it has to be something. They must have gotten some information, some intelligence that happened, you know, this week. And, they, and this is the reaction to it. You know, it's got to be something crazy. I shouldn't say crazy. It's something unusual that, uh, that information they got. Because this is a, a way overreaction to shut down public viewing and, and observer viewing of processes that went quite well in the primary. Bruce Kemp joins us this morning. He's a member of the uh, New Hanover County Board of Elections. Early voting kicks off here for day number two in New Hanover County in just about 40 minutes this morning at uh, five locations. We'll bring you the details on that coming up. Bruce, anything else that people need to know about our early voting over the next couple of uh, weekends and days? The, to me, the most important thing is early voting is safe. It's like absentee by mail voting is safe and voting on Election Day is safe. I'd say vote whenever it's most comfortable for you as an individual, but come out to vote. And oh, and by the way, it's in many precincts, it's going to be a two-sided ballot. So make sure you turn it over. Otherwise, you might miss a couple of the either races or referendum on the, on the ballot. And I understand from yesterday's report that some voters apparently didn't turn their ballot over and didn't realize they missed the opportunity to vote on some issues. Yeah, very good point. I know the sample ballots that are out have all been squeezed onto one page, but the Board of uh, Board of Education races, the uh, referendum here in New Hanover County on sales tax, all of that stuff on the back of the ballot uh, this go-round. Bruce, thanks for reaching out. Appreciate the time, and uh, sure. keep us up to date. If you hear anything, uh, we'll get you back on the air, all right?
Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bruce Kemp joining us here this morning. Coming up Monday morning on the program, we'll catch up with the Brunswick County Board of Elections Director, Sarah Laviri. She'll join us Monday morning. We'll ask her a similar question about this and maybe get some more clarification from an election director. We'll also talk about early voting ongoing in Brunswick County. All right, we'll grab a quick commercial break here at 719 on the other side. First day of early voting was yesterday. So, Let's take a look at some of the numbers. We'll take a look at early voting totals in both Brunswick and New Hanover counties. I have been unable to nail down any early voting numbers in Pender County as of yet. So we'll uh, take a look at New Hanover and Brunswick. Coming up right after this, you're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980. The Wave. Find and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I always follow them. Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980. The Wave. at 725. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. Great to have you here. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. If you'd like to jump in on the program this morning, that's 910-763-4000. All right, so day one of early voting yesterday, early voting day two kicks off here in about 35 minutes. We've got some numbers in across New Hanover and Brunswick County. I don't have any details on Pender this morning. I was unable to track down their uh, publication of their numbers. I did send them an email. Hopefully we'll hear back from them on that. So let's start off in uh, Brunswick County this morning where 3,311 individuals voted as part of early voting yesterday. The party breakdowns are as follows. 1,337 Democrats, 1,694 Republicans, and 1,495 unaffiliateds. That is the results for the race there, 3,311. That's over in Brunswick County. And actually, the numbers only a little bit higher in terms of voter turnout here in New Hanover County, where 3,402 individuals cast their ballots yesterday. Uh, the party breakdown a little bit different here as well, as the Democrats having the most amount of early votes at 1,216, unaffiliateds 1,110, and Republicans 1,067. All in all, pretty close numbers for early voting and we know from elections in years past it is typically the democrat party that has a very large lead in early voting that goes into election day um, and it is only one day of early voting there is still like 200 some odd more hours of early voting and those numbers are likely to separate but a pretty good turnout in terms of republicans and unaffiliateds for the first day it, it, it'll be interesting to see how close uh, the parties are in terms of voter turnout as we head into election day. So for folks this morning wondering about early voting, polls open at 8 o'clock across many places in New Hanover, Brunswick, and Pender counties this morning. They'll be open until 7.30 p.m. tonight as well at the Board of Elections office at Military Cutoff Road. That's at the Northeast Public Library here, CFCC Downtown, the Health and Sciences Building, CFCC North Campus. That's at the McKeithen Center up at Blue Clay Road, Carolina Beach Town Hall, and the New Hanover County Resource Center. In Brunswick County, the Leland Cultural Arts Center, the Brunswick County Center at Southport, the Brunswick Center at Shalote, and the Southwest Brunswick uh, Branch Library in Calabash 
all open up at 8 o'clock this morning as well. And in Pender County, the Atkinson Town Hall, the uh, Cooperative Extension Auditorium in Burgaw, and the Pender County Annex Building in Hampstead are all open at 8 o'clock as well. I know that's a lot and you don't have all of the details. Well, we've fortunately got a website set up for you to get all of those details. If you head on over to our site, 980waav.com, click on the voting information banner on the homepage and you'll find links, times, addresses for all of the early voting locations across our tri-county area. That link is also up on our Facebook page as well. Head on over and give us a like on social media at 107.9 and 980 The Wave on Facebook and Twitter. You can uh, give us a, a like and follow there, and uh, you can find the link to that post. It's actually pinned on our Facebook page, so you'll see it right up there in the front of everything on our Facebook page as well. All right, as we approach the bottom of the hour this morning, coming up, the West Bank of the Cape Fear River. It is a massive plan. It has generated a whole bunch of public conversation on both sides. And also it appears that it has completely stalled. We'll bring you the latest details on that coming up in just about 30 minutes. A half hour or rather coming up after the bottom of the hour news break. In just about 30 minutes we'll connect. The chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party joins us live. We'll talk about early voting across the state of North Carolina. And in an hour from now our friend David Larson over at the Carolina Journal has this article written. Fired Republican Wake County poll workers call for more partisan balance. We'll get, bring you the latest details on that just one day into early voting across the state of North Carolina and continued questions swirling around the legitimacy of elections and questions that the public has. Those details coming up here on Wilmington's Morning News. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. If you sacrifice your dream for the sake of satisfying someone else, that can often lead to ongoing resentment, which then poisons a relationship subtly, slowly, but it does. And if he doesn't want to let you down, then your dreams matter. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Listen for the national keyword at 5 past the hour, 8 to 5. It's your chance to win $100 and qualify for twenty-five grand. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Friday, I guess 736. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. The chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party, Will Connect, joins us coming up here in just 30 minutes. Uh, an hour from now, we'll have some details out of Wake County surrounding a Republican poll observer or worker that was fired. Those details are coming up in the 8 o'clock hour here this morning. But before we can get to any of that, there are a lot of important local issues that are being discussed and have been discussed over the last couple of months. And a lot of them surround, of course, growth and expansion across New Hanover County. And one of the big hot button issues that has caused um, conversation and, and in some point in cases, outrage on both sides of the argument has been the West Bank of the Cape Fear River. The developers behind a project with a potential 
to change the west bank of the Cape Fear River and change the skyline of the down, of a downtown Wilmington, they well they have withdrawn their applications needed for their plans to move forward at least as of right now. Last month, Battleship Point developers KFJ Development Group withdrew their request to establish a new zoning district tailored to growth on the Cape Fear River's West Bank. What they did is they wanted to rezone an area locally referred to as Point Peter. That's according to Rebecca Roth with the New Hanover County Planning Board. She's the planning director. KFJ Development did not comment on the story, but the project and the proposal that they had brought forward, which developers per first publicly pitched about a year ago, would have included three sleek skyscrapers that were linked by pedestrian walkways on the west bank of the river. Initial plans included hundreds of condos and apartments with space for retail shopping, restaurants, as well as a high-end hospitality venue, a wedding venue, or something of that sort. Although they aren't the first developers to eye the west bank of the Cape Fear River, KFJ Development's plan sparked a huge public debate as to what they want to do uh, what the public wants to do in the future of that area. And you essentially have two camps. And obviously there is room in between both of those camps, but you've got two camps. One camp is no development on the West Bank of the Cape Fear River it needs to just be left as it is right now. And the other is the land isn't really being used right now for whatever the intended purpose is. Let's do some development. That's essentially the two camps. And of course, there are people in the middle that want to, you know, don't want commercial development, but are want some potentially some um, development in terms of making it or keeping it a, uh, you know, some sort of wildlife refuge or something like that, a green space, something of that nature. And then on the development side, you've got folks that aren't a big fan of, uh, you know, three high-rise tower skyscrapers, but would be okay with maybe some industrial uh, business going back and moving into that area or some smaller uh, commercial business like this. So you've got a lot of people in between, but it is essentially split amongst two sides. The New Hanover County Board of Commissioners has, uh, you know, had two at this point two work sessions and two meetings, and it's grown, it's uh, uh, gathered rather a great deal of attention since it entered the public sphere and became a part of conversation a little more than a year ago. In order for any project to move forward on the West Bank of this nature, a new zoning district has to be made to meet and match the project scale and location. Because as it stands right now, some of the parcels of land that are being talked about are designated for heavy industrial use, which is pretty self-explanatory. You're talking about, uh, you know, what used to be over there, boat yards and things of that. And then some are just not zoned for anything like that at all. So for KFJ Development Group, they've asked New Hanover County to rezone Point Peter from their current industrial zoning to a newly created district, a newly created zoning district. And that's where the conversation and controversy started. The New Hanover County Planning Board denied a request back to back last year to establish a new zoning district as developers appealed that decision to the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners, who decided to table that matter back in March of this year. Instead of taking immediate action, they decided to table it like they do so well and just leave it on the back burner for months and months and months and months. And while that was happening, 
the developers in February decided to ask the town of Leland to consider an annexation of that property. They asked the town of Leland to annex that property that's in New Hanover County for them to potentially move forward. And in this case, that caused New Hanover County to say, oh, we probably should have acted on this a little bit sooner. So they you know, held, at this point, two of these, I don't even know what you'd call them. They, they take place over at the government center. I've gone to both of them. And it's essentially a presentation from staff. The county commissioners ask a couple of questions, and then they say, all right, we'll schedule another meeting. And then you know, months and months go by, and then they schedule another meeting. The Leland Planning Board did recommend moving forward with the annexation request earlier this year in an approval of a four to three decision that was set to make its way to the Leland Town Council in April. But Leland's top leaders never voted on that rezoning request because the item was pulled from the council's agenda to give developers more time for due diligence and allow them to reopen conversations in New Hanover County. In May, after the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners held their second, or rather their first, public meeting, the developers withdrew their rezoning request from Leland, saying that they wanted to go with their original home, which was working with the New Hanover County government. But do you see what's going on here? Do you see the problem with this? It's not that New Hanover County said no, so they took their ball and went home. It's that New Hanover County didn't make a decision. The planning board decided to not approve it, but the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners never did. They never decided whether they wanted to approve or disapprove. They tabled the discussion back in March of this year, and then it wasn't until May when they held a planning meeting. So for months, the project just sat completely stagnant. So it was a failure of government to act in a timely manner. And you got to remember this, folks, for this developer, for landowners, for people that are actively working on this project, this is a this is an active business. So whether you agree with the project or not and agree with what they've done or not, I, I truly believe that these folks have the right and should at least have the opportunity given to them to get a decision from government one way or the other, whether it's a yes or a no. You just keep dangling the carrot in front of them and keep stringing them along. That's not, that, that, to me, that's just not acceptable and not appropriate. I don't care, again, I don't care if you agree or disagree with the project. The developers deserve to know whether they can or can't move forward. But over the last couple of months, plans have essentially stalled throughout the spring and the summer as county leaders have had those two policy meetings as they're attempting to guide the new Hanover County staff into what they want to do. At their most recent meeting, which I attended, County Manager Chris Coudre recommended that the board take action to bring closure to the Battleship Point request, saying that the county leaders would likely recommend denial by the board. The project developers, however, seem to have been beaten by the county to the punch, withdrawing their application for their text amendment to establish a new zoning district and their request for rezoning that was scheduled to take place at last month's new Hanover County Commission meeting. So where does this leave us right now? At least for New Hanover County, it doesn't seem like if anything is going to happen, it is not going to happen in a timely manner. And for, again, a business, they need something to happen either pro or 
pro or against in some meaningful time frame. Leland looks to be back open. The Leland Planning Board did approve this request the full time or the first time in a vote of four to three to pass it on to the town council. Uh, the town council never got the chance to discuss this in any meaningful way. They never um, really had a chance to discuss it at all. So I'm not exactly sure what the Leland Town Council's thoughts are on it, but according to everything I understand, they would very much have the authority to do this. Um, there's some state statute that allows non-contiguous land to connect if there's a state-owned land in between. It's a very... Um, it's a very odd state that, that allows it to happen, and I'm, I'm not going to get into the details because it's way too far in the weeds. But they would have the authority to do that from what I understand. So that is an option, or maybe the option is nothing coming on the west bank of the Cape Fear River. Now, I am of the mindset that something will happen at some point, whether it's keeping it and turning it to some sort of green space or some sort of... Um, you know, reserve or uh, environmental space or something of that nature, that will likely come forward at some point. Maybe some sort of industrial development takes its eye and starts looking at the West Bank, which, by the way, it's already zoned for. An industrial developer could move their project to Point Peter right now and not have to require any zoning or any requests from New Hanover County as it's already zoned for that uh, type of, uh, already zoned for that type of work. Or... Maybe a different developer comes back with a, with another set of plans. And I'll just say this from my vantage point. And, you know, phone lines are open if you want to chime in at 910-763-4000 if you want to let me know what your thoughts are on the West Bank. Sooner rather than later, something is going to be done over there. I genuinely believe that. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. Again, it's a wide gambit of essentially pres preservation to large-scale developments there's a wide gambit of things in between but I don't believe that the that the very small amount of land that is still left in New Hanover County is going to stay in its current form much longer now we do have potential new leadership coming to the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners at uh, that'll be coming up in December when the new members are sworn in. There are two Democrats and two Republicans running. Rob Zappel running for re-election. Travis Robinson looking to sit on, sit on that board for the first time. And then two Republicans, Leanne Pierce and Tom Toby. Leanne, the former Carolina Beach mayor. Tom Toby spending 20 plus years as a firefighter for the city of Wilmington and now operating his own small business. So that very much could change the direction and the conversations going forward as well. And I don't think that we can just sit here and just continue to kick the can down the road because we've, we've seen what happens and what could potentially happen with that. Leland, Brunswick County, almost got control, and they still very well could, get control over one of the most valuable pieces of property left in New Hanover County, not because of a greedy developer, but because New Hanover County refused to make a decision, refused to come up with something, stand by and stick their ground. They did nothing instead. They kicked the can down the road, which is what government is so good at doing. It's arguably the only thing government is good at doing. Now, that's not true. They're also really good at spending your money too. So what are your thoughts on the West Bank of the Cape Fear River? What would you like to see if you could wave your magic wand here this morning and determine the future over there? We've got open phone lines as we, as we approach 8 o'clock this morning. 910-763-4000. That's our phone number.
7.53. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number if you'd like to jump in on the program this morning. We're discussing the west bank of the Cape Fear River as the uh, development group, KFJ Development, has pulled their application from New Hanover County to rezone um, parts of what is known as Point Peter over on the west bank of the Cape Fear River for their major project. I'm not sure if they're going to... um, kind of redo it and come back or if they're going to now go over to Leland. There's there's a lot of moving parts with it. So if you've got any comments, I'd love to hear from you at 910-763-4000. Let's uh, head on over to our phones. Caller, good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead. Nope. Oh, great. Nothing better. <laughs> Somebody hanging up there. Let's head on over to line two. John, good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning, Nick. Morning. Um, you know, we got a really good example of riverfront development that is existing right now. If you look at the northern riverfront of downtown Wilmington, it was developed through a stakeholder input process where we we called it the Vision 2020 plan, where we we brought in neighborhood groups, business owners, civic groups, different stakeholder groups over months. It took months to do it, but they came up with a Vision 2020 plan. When I was at Wilmington Downtown Inc., my predecessor, Susie Hamilton, was the planner at the city of Wilmington that helped write the plan. And it became the guidebook. It was a watercolor on the wall at WDI, and it became the guidebook for how we were going to develop the northern riverfront of downtown Wilmington. And I think the county commissioners dropped the ball here when they handed it over to staff and said, hey, come back with, to us with a few options of what we want to do on the West Bank. And I guess that, I guess the phrase is plausible deniability. You know, it's to come back term. and say, hey, here's what it's could now. happen on the other side. And the county says, well, we don't like it. County Commission, you know, they need to they need to create a planning process and encourage stakeholder input and say, hey, here's what we want to see across the river. Well, let me ask you this, and John, uh, John Hinnon joining us here uh, this morning, candidate for House District 18, formerly over at uh, WDI. You know, John, I, I have a bit of a problem here with this idea that the West Bank of the Cape Fear River is untouchable, yet you do yet you bring forward the fact that the northern half of downtown Wilmington is is getting developed. Now you've got the brand new amphitheater there. You've got apartment complexes going up on either side, Pier 33. Why was that land okay to touch, but some of this other land isn't? It just doesn't, doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's, it's it's basically one and the same. I mean, they both have the same challenges. They were both formerly industrial sites, so you've got environmental cleanup. Both of them are pl- prone to flooding. Um, there's a portion of the amphitheater site that still, to this day, is having washout problems. So, you know, there's the, you're right. They're the same type of property, and it's it's not it's not that it's untouchable. It's that people are afraid of what they might end up seeing, and that's why you go through a planning process and you you create a vision. And you try to vision what it is you want to see over there. And then you take that and you make the zoning acclimate to it. And then you go out and you market the property to developers. You have, But it takes stakeholder input. And that means, yeah, you bring the residents of Old Wilmington to the table. You bring the Downtown Business Association. You bring WDI. You bring neighbors. You bring business owners. You bring the chamber. You bring other groups in. And you say, hey, what do you, you know, take them over there. But in a van or a bus, you take them over there, you put their feet on the ground and you get a sense for the feel of the property. Then you go back over to the other side of the river. You look back at it. It's OK. Now, what would you like to see there? And and then you draw it up on paper and give people a vision. What would you like to see 
well, on the think, other side of the river. And I think that's where I've become so frustrated is just nobody will – the county will just not make a damn decision. I mean, they just they, – they have they have had these two meetings now. They just – they asked, you know, some – some county commissioners, specifically on the Democrat side, just ask the same stupid questions about climate change every single meeting. Nothing is ever getting done. And eventually, I mean, this developer group could very well go over to Leland, and then New Hanover County has no say in it at all. It's just it's just so unfortunate that it's this is such a slow process and nothing is getting done on it at all. Yeah, and then, and then you create another tax district, and what happens is sales taxes generated there <clears> – <throat> New Hanover County has to send a portion of it to Leland. I mean, it's, it, you're right. It's just, it, it's, it, it creates a long-term mess and it's a lack of leadership and they should, they should generally start from the beginning. What do we want to see over there? And then go through the planning process, but, but kicking it down to staff when staff has so much, so many other things to work on. Uh, there, there are plenty of architecture firms in this town who would love to go through a design charrette mm. and go through the planning process and draw up a planning document. It's not that big a deal. There's plenty of people in town here who are qualified to do it. Yeah. Well, John, thanks for the call this morning, brother. Appreciate it. We'll catch up with you soon here before the election. We're going to yep. be doing a candidate, full-on candidate interviews over the next couple of weeks throughout early voting. Obviously, John having a, a bit of a... Uh, a comparative advantage, we'll call it, in discussions like this with his time at WDI. And again, this all comes back to why can nobody make a decision? And I can tell you why. Because it is politically unpopular. So instead of being strong leaders, instead of willing to lead by example, which is, by the way, what we elected these people to do in the first place, they have, as John mentioned, kicked it down the road to staff that have them make the decision so that the Democrats and the Republicans on the county commissioners can scave off any sort of criticism by saying, oh, it was staff that did this. It wasn't us. It's just weak leadership. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennig. So Obliterated is on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I had the best time. It was challenging, but it was like the show. It doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're not. It's no fun. Genuinely. If it wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like, it was. Hey, it was fine. Because I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. Your views and opinions. We need change in our country right now. Follow us on our socials and have your say. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Well, for day number two, early voting is now open across the state of North Carolina. Welcome into the final hour of Wilmington's Morning News on this Friday, October the 21st, 2022. It's great to have you here. 910-763-4000 is our studio number if you'd like to jump in on the program this morning. Coming up in 30 minutes, we'll go over a pretty disturbing story out of uh, the Carolina Journal. Our friend David Larson has got the uh, headline It reads, fired Republican Wake County poll worker calls for more partisan ballots. And surprise, surprise, uh, you'd be, uh, I don't think you'd be um, 
shocked to find out that there is a very heavy Democrat lean when it comes to election working and uh, workers and polls and all of that stuff here across the state of North Carolina. But uh, joining us now to speak of the importance of early voting, he was also on the ground yesterday at some of the early voting locations here across New Hanover County, is the chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party, Mr. Will Connect. Mr. Chairman, good morning, sir. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, sights and sounds yesterday across the county. Nick, it was an amazing day. I, you really thought it was a presidential election year yesterday at all the polls. Uh, I was out at three of the five early voting locations. You had big lines at the library, Northeast Regional Library, big lines at the Senior Center. Again, just a great time to be an American, a great time to be a resident here. The energy is, uh, is palpable. It is, uh, it is out there, and folks are, are ready to make their voice heard. And it's going to be a dogfight. It is going to be a very, very close election up and down the ballot. Uh, but it was exciting to see so many uh, folks, so many voters out uh, getting in line, standing in line in early voting. Again, reminiscent of the 2020 election. I don't know if that will uh, continue over the next uh, 14 days. It's uh, 15 days of early voting, as you know, a lot of days. But again, just the energy yesterday was fantastic. Uh, I talked to my counterpart on the Democrat side, Andre Brown. He felt the same. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's going to be a great election season. It's going to come down to every single vote counting. And uh, it's going to be a, a nail biter. I really believe that. Yeah, and looking at some of the early voting numbers coming back yesterday, some strong turnouts here in uh, New Hanover County. Oh, just over 3,400 people voting in New Hanover County and uh, 3,300 people voting over in Brunswick County as well, which is very, very strong numbers for the first day of early voting. You mentioned 14 more days. So you were out and about at some of the uh, the early voting sites yesterday, five of them here in New Hanover County, including the uh, Northeast Public Library, CFCC downtown, the uh, North Campus at Cape Fear Community College up on Blue Clay Road, Carolina Beach Town Hall, and the Re Senior Resource Center. What were you hearing from voters as they were walking in and uh, you know deciding who they were going to be voting for? What was kind of the sentiment from individuals uh, voting yesterday? Well, I tell you, you know, almost to a person uh, that I spoke with, uh, the election results can't come soon enough. <laughs> that Amen to that. The, uh, general, <laughs> yeah, that was the general feel I got as I was talking to voters. Uh, going in and out and, and uh, sharing with them our sample ballots that they cannot wait to wake up uh, November 9th and the hope that uh, Republicans have swept uh, this election. Uh, voters are tired of, uh, you know, the Biden policies that seep down through uh, Governor Cooper, seep down through the likes of Deb Butler and our Democrat county commissioners uh, and our school board members, our Democrat school board members. They want change. They don't like the direction that our county, that our schools, that our state and nation are taking. And, and literally, uh, you'd have people whisper, you know, can't wait till November 9th. We're going to win this thing. And, and I think there's excitement out there. But again, I'm, I'm seeing the numbers. And uh, I'm sure you saw some numbers of the voting. It is going to come down to very close elections. Mm. And uh, everyone out there, if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're unaffiliated, your vote, vote matters. And your vote could be the difference in this election. You can't stay home. You can't uh, not help. You can't get out there and tell your neighbors and friends. You have to get involved because 
at the end of the day, our kids' futures are on the line. Uh, the county and our tax uh, situation is on the line. Uh, and the ability to thwart the leftist policies of Governor Cooper are on the line. And well, we, we need a check uh, in, this, in the Senate as well. we got to get Ted Budd elected, and we have very important Supreme Court races. So I just hope every New Hanover County, every registered vote get, voter gets out there and votes, and that we have historic numbers in this midterm election. I assume a lot of people kind of roll their eyes when you say the comment of every vote counts. I think a lot of folks have been disenfranchised from the political process and the, and the whole things of elections. But I'll remind you, just back a few months ago in May, on the Democrat primary, it was yeah, two votes absolutely. that separated Nelson Bolier and Jenna Bosch. Two individuals. I mean, there's two people in this building. Everybody knows two people that literally could have changed the results of that election. So it's it's not just hyperbole to make this comment about getting out and voting. It li- I mean, you could literally see it. Michael Lee lost by what? Uh, 70 votes? 200. 200, vo- uh, yeah, to, 200 to, plus votes, yeah. To Harper Peterson a couple of years ago. That's a very, very close race. And I guarantee you... There were 200 people in that race that decided, you know, screw it. I'm just going to sit at home. I'm not going to vote. My vote doesn't matter. And, in fact, it very well could have changed the outcome of that election. No question. And, I mean, you think of 2020 when you had the chief justice of the Supreme Court race uh, decided statewide by less than four or what, just a few uh, 400 plus votes. Yeah. And then in 2019, I can remember being down at the Board of Elections with sitting city councilman Neil Anderson who won by four or five votes. Every single vote matters. And I want to encourage, uh, and I'm going to you know, just encourage my Republican and conservative unaffiliated friends here, hope the Democrats maybe uh, walk away from the radio for a moment, but um, we need you out there. This is, a, this is a, a critical election that literally is going to come down to a handful of votes in a number of races. Our statehouse races, uh, you know, with Ted Davis and John Hennon, um, these districts are very difficult for a Republican to win, and we need their votes. The state Senate race, just, you know, the purple nature of our county makes it very difficult for Senator Lee, even with the $200,000 a week being spent against him on, on, on really, uh, 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 I would say, lies uh, against him and, and positioning him in a, in a light that is not true, um, he, you know, his his election is going to be decided by just a few votes. So please get out and vote. And I want to suggest that we not wait till election day. And this is my personal opinion, but there's a lot of people who might wait till election day. And what happens if you're sick? What happens if your car breaks down? What happens if you're in the hospital? There's a lot of things that could happen on November 8th, or willing nothing will. But every vote matters. So get out there and vote when it's most convenient to you, uh, for you. That, that would be my suggestion. Get out there and vote. Don't wait till November 8th. Uh, if you want to, please do. That's your choice. But remember, something could, crazy could happen on November 8th that would not allow you to, uh, to vote. So make it, you know, there's 15 days of early voting, 14 days left. It's so easy. Uh, with early voting, five locations, as you suggested, all throughout the county. Please get out and vote when it's most convenient and make sure your conservative friends and family members and neighbors get out there, too. Yeah, I see. I'm seeing a lot of conversation online, Will, and I'm sure you're seeing some of it as well. Like, oh, vote after six o'clock on Election Day. And, you know, again, that's fine if that's your attitude. But if a 
God forbid, a family member's in the hospital or you have some emergency at work or at home that you need to handle, it would really be a sad state of affairs to not be able to vote because you couldn't take advantage of 300 hours of early voting and you felt the need <laughs> to, to, to vote on uh, within the last you know 30 minutes of election day. Hey, if that's what you want to do, if you think that makes your vote more secure, I guess more power to you, but there's there's really no evidence to to back up voting on election day late is is any more secure than, than voting today or tomorrow. That just doesn't make sense. Very good point. Yeah, very good point. So again, as you suggested, ridiculous amount of time to early vote and uh, please... Uh, please vote. And, and, and again, share the word. You know, not everybody, I, I, your listeners are probably more attuned politically than most. Um, and we need to get the word out how important this election is. You know, there's talk of a red wave. There's no such thing as a red wave in New Hanover County, just by the basis of the makeup of our electorate. 71,000 plus unaffiliated voters, uh, 54,000 Republican voters, 51,500 Democrat voters. We are as purple as purple gets. And so every last vote matters. And there is no such thing as a, as a red wave in New Hanover County. So we've got to be working hard until 731 on November 8th. And our hundreds of volunteers out there, Nick, are, are working their tails off. And we're going to be working our tails off until we're, we drop at 731 on November 8th. I want to ask you about the, the the volunteers there and ask about um, in terms of election integrity and poll observers and poll watchers and all of that. we got to grab a quick break, though. Will, hang on for me if you would, because it's an important process of having people inside of the polls, both Democrats, Republicans, and unaffiliated, v- viewing the process and looking over the process. We'll have those details coming up with Will Connect, the chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party, right after this. You're listening to 107.9 and 980. A shot at 100 bucks an hour and a chance to win a $25,000 grand prize. More details at 980wave.com. Eight twenty one. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Will Connect joins us this morning. He is the chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party. Mr. Chairman, talking about the election, 14 days of early voting. Talk about the effort that the county party has made to make sure that the election is safe and secure in terms of poll observers and things of that nature. Absolutely, Nick. It's been a huge initiative. We have an amazing election integrity team made up of dozens of volunteers led by Jules Rothline, Madam Borsky, uh, Beth Fry doing an amazing job. And we have been recruiting and training poll observers and uh, helping the Board of Elections, uh, truly, uh, get paid poll workers uh, in place as well. And we have been recruiting and training for months using the current statutes, using the current direction, and have really done a historic job. And, and I want to just share with your audience, Nick, here is our objective. We want to make it easy for every registered voter to vote, but very hard to cheat. We want to make it impossible to cheat. So we're not looking to suppress the vote. We're looking to, I would love to see 100% voter participation, Republican, Democrat, unaffiliated during this midterm election. That's our objective. We want every vote to count and every voter to vote, but we don't want any cheating. And we just want transparency in the process. So we've been doing all this training, been meeting on Saturdays for 
you know, a number of weeks in these training. We've done hours of training. And then at the 11th hour, Nick, I think it might have been October 19th, so the day before early voting is to start, the state board of elections, which is the most political board of elections in anybody's memory, changes the rules of the game at the last minute to limit that transparency. And we stand against that, and and we are looking at what we can do to fight that politicized board of elections that is only looking to limit transparency and limit citizens' ability to view the voting process and have confidence that our elections here in New Hanover County are fair and that it's easy to vote and that it's hard to cheat. Now, again, I'm not suggesting anything about our local board of elections. We have an amazing local board of elections, but they need to follow the direction of Karen Brinson-Bell and the state board of elections, and they are so political, they do not want, for some reason, at the state level, board of elections. They don't want transparency. So all of the training we did, including the training I sat in, yesterday morning I reported to the uh, north campus of Cape Fear Community College. I was there at 6.45 a.m. to watch the polls open as I was instructed and taught at 7 a.m. And at 7 a.m., I'm not allowed into the polls. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I mean, I'm allowed at 7 a.m. Long story short, there's this memo that came out yesterday that said I was not allowed in to watch the entire opening of the process. I was only able to watch three pieces of the process, a last-minute rug pull that is absolutely, it just undermines the integrity of the process. It undermines the public confidence, and it should enrage every uh, registered voter in this state of North Carolina that what they did. Again, the Republican position, easy to vote, easy to vote, easy to vote. Every registered voter, easy to vote, but hard to cheat. So we're looking at our options right now on what we can do, both at the state level and here locally. But I want to commend our, our – we have over 120 volunteers wow. that are, are, have signed up to be observers. We have dozens more that we help the Board of Elections locally um, uh, to place as paid workers. And then at the last minute, everything we did, rug pulled. It, it's it's frustrating to say the least. Well, it's frustrating, and and again, it doesn't necessarily mean that something nefarious is going on. But will it definitely opens the door for conversation? And I just I can't I can't believe in the you know the the political climate that we're dealing with right now, coming off the 2020 presidential election, that any state board would think this is a good idea to do, especially at the last minute. And then now you know you question this, and now you're a, you're a conspiracy theorist. For questioning why they came out with a, a 24-hour memo and, 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 and pulled the rug out right before the election. It's just, it's so disheartening. It, it really is. And I guarantee our local board of elections wants transparency. They want to do. Here's just an example. Um, prior to the night, two days ago, poll observers were able to go in every morning and watch the closing, I mean, watch the opening of the polls. Just watch everything, watch the machines being turned on, making sure all the vote counts were at zero, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? As of October 19th, two days ago, we are, observers are only allowed in on the opening day, yesterday. Today, our observers go to uh, watch the opening of the polls just to see that transparency, just to build confidence that everything's going smoothly, and they were rejected at the door this morning. Mm. It's just there is no need for this. 
There's no need for this. And to your point, it just adds to a narrative that might not be true, but they don't help us no. uh, dispute that narrative. And, no. and it's just, it's frustrating. And, and from a leadership standpoint, Karen Brinson-Bell, it makes no sense. Yeah, well, and we should demand more transparency of our government, not less. And our government in this environment should be offering more transparency to us as we the people, as citizens, as registered voters. So big, big rug pull on us. We're, we're looking at our options now. Nothing against our local board of elections. This was a state decision, and, uh, and we're looking into our options now. I will uh, note that I do have an email in with the State Board of Elections uh, asking for some clarification on this memo. I haven't heard back, and we'll be catching up with the Brunswick County Board of Elections Director, uh, Sarah, Sarah LeVere, coming up Monday morning. And I've already asked her about this, and we'll hopefully talk about that coming up Monday morning. All right, well, we got about a minute or so, minute and a half left. Tell folks what they need to know about early voting, sample ballots, and everything else. Yeah, you can go to our website for sample ballots for all of the polling locations, newhanovergop.org. But Nick, as I close, I want to make an appeal to your listeners, whether they be Republicans, Democrats, or unaffiliated voters. If you desire the best and equal opportunity for your children and your grandchildren and an education that positions them for the best opportunity for them in their God-given gifts, we invite you to look at our Republican candidates and potentially vote Republican. If you believe that um, your hard-earned dollars are best spent by you, not the government, we invite you to consider the Republican Party this election season, regardless of your affiliation. If you are interested in, in transparency in our government, we invite you to join us and vote Republican. Well, is anybody better off? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. It, 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 you know, I, I would ask the listeners, are you better off today than you were two years ago? Do you feel better about being an American today than you did two years ago? Mm. Well, if you don't, we invite you to look at the Republican Party. Maybe you've never voted Republican. We invite you to give us a chance. We not, might not solve every problem in the first six months, but if you give Republicans Absolutely. your vote... Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you so. were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. I, Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. If it's happening in Wilmington. First thing in the morning. They know what's going on in the city. You'll hear about it on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number if you'd like to jump in on the program this morning. That's 910-763-4000. 
So as we've talked a lot about this morning, early voting, which, by the way, is not running through this weekend, at least in New Hanover and Pender counties. Uh, early voting will kick back off Monday morning. So you'll have until 7.30 tonight to uh, vote early. A, a concerning story out of Wake County. David Larson's got the story over at Carolina Journal. And the headline reads, Fired Republican Wake County poll worker calls for more partisan balance. And the story reads as follows. John Kane Jr., who is the son of a uh, Raleigh land developer, John Kane, in an interview with the Carolina Journal, said that he was hired back on August the 12th as a Wake County poll assistant. Now, poll assistant is an employee of the Board of Elections. Every county, all 100 counties across the state, have a Board of Elections that operate the elections. And poll assistants are ones that operate and work at precincts and voting locations. So he was hired back on August the 12th, but says that he was fired from that position, dropped from that position for vague reasons back on September the 12th. And he said he believes that the Wake County Board of Elections is ignoring state statute by not taking into partisan account, uh, partisan uh, balance among poll workers when they decided to relieve him of his duties. And Kane also believes that in some aspects, Republicans, both in Wake County and at the statewide level, have dropped the ball on maintaining the partisan balance of poll assistance that they are entitled to by the law. Kane said that he was selected to be a poll assistant, which is the election workers who help precinct judges uh, and completed online training for the program, which you're required to do. And for this, he was assigned to 14 of 17 early voting days, as well as Election Day itself. That's a significant amount of time that is uh, going to be invested in this. And he was uh, assigned to a southeast Raleigh precinct by the Wake County Board of Elections. A week before his in-person training, however, he said he received a call from Tiana Threat with the Wake County Board of Elections, telling him that there were too many assistants and he was selected as one of the assistants to be relieved or dropped. Huh. Too many poll workers? Too many? People beating down the door to work at all 270-some-odd precincts in Wake County? Kane told the Carolina Journal, I thought to myself, that makes no sense whatsoever. Having employed plenty of people and seeing the job market right now, there is no one beating down the door to get a non-recurring $15 an hour job that is happening during the typical workday. And he brings up a really great point that folks that are, folks that are even available to do these jobs as poll assistants and as election workers are in a pretty unique situation. You've got a lot of folks that are older and retired that have the availability to do it because they don't work a, not a traditional nine to five job during the day. You've got um, individuals that uh, might be private business owners that have the availability to do that during the day as well. But the general populace does not have the availability to work as a poll assistant strictly because of the hours that are required. You can't, what do you do? Go to your full-time job and say, hey, I need the next 17 days off to, <laughs> to go work for $15 an hour? No, the answer is absolutely not. So you've got a just inherently a relatively small sample size of people that are even capable of doing this job from the time commitment standpoint. So Kane decided to call back the Wake County Board of Elections and ask what the process was and what they used to choose which people would be determined to be relieved from their duty or not. 
The Wake County Board of Elections officials said that there were filters that were run on the individuals but didn't have them in front of her. Kane asked her to get back with him with those details, and he did get a call back on Friday. Kane recorded that conversation. In the conversation, Threat with the Wake County Board said that they looked at whether someone was a, quote, first-timer as the main reason for cutting someone, so cutting individuals with no experience, which makes it impossible. It's like trying to, uh, the old adage of trying to get a credit score when you're like 16 or 17 years old. Nobody will give you a credit card because you don't have a credit score and you don't have a credit score because nobody will give you a credit card. It's the exact same thing here. You're a first-timer. You're going get, to get relieved from your duties, but you're never going to get any experience if they keep relieving you for being a first-timer. But in terms of other filters as a whole, she said, "I there are other filters, but I'm not able to divulge what those are. Threat also said that if workers were in an overstaffed precinct, that they might be cut. But for John Kane, he says that doesn't make any sense either because the Board of Elections themselves are the ones that designate and assign the precincts. He said, so there's absolutely no reason that a worker would be let go from a precinct that they didn't decide to work at in the first place. Then later, the Wake County Board of Elections officials said that there was actually no filters beyond being at an overstaffed precinct or being a first-timer. So that's it. The Wake County Board of Elections responded to a public records request by Kane on this topic, saying that there were no documents on any filters regarding the process of letting go ex- excess poll workers. Well, that's very odd because he was told that there were filters multiple times, but it turns out there's not. Kane says he believes that he may have been let go for being a Republican or at the very least that they should have let go a Democrat before considering relieving him because he is in a he is a Republican in a county where most precincts have not met their statutory mandate for party affiliation. According to this, the law regarding poll assistance is North Carolina General Statute 163-42, and it reads as follows. Again, this is directly from state statute. When the Board of Elections determines that assistance are needed in a precinct, an equal number shall be appointed from different political parties unless the requirement as to party affiliation cannot be met because of an insufficient number of voters of different political parties within the county. After analyzing publicly available data data on poll workers and their party affiliations, John Kane Jr. believes that the board should have been seeking more Republican workers because Democrats were overrepresented on the uh, overrepresented at the various precincts. According to Kane's analysis, which was achieved in 14 of the precincts, while he found out of them. 800 or 183 Democrats worked in those 14 precincts compared to just 11 Republicans. Now, this is in Wake County, a deep blue county. 183 Democrat poll assistants compared to just 11 Republicans. This is all due to, this is all uh, publicly available data that was compiled. Well, that doesn't sound like an equal partisan balance. Now, the point is clear in the general statute. If you have a precinct that has no Republicans voting in it, which is is impossible, by the way, but if there's a precinct with 100% 
Democrats registered, not a single Republican or an independent or a you know, conservative or party, whatever it might be, Green Party, then according to the state statute, you would not be required to have any Republican poll observers or, excuse me, poll uh, assistants, election workers. But that's not the case. Even in the deepest blue precincts in the city of Wilmington, there are still registered Republicans that work there. So this is, once again, raising more questions and once again, bringing forward various things that make folks scratch their heads and go, why? We're told that elections are secure, that elections are fair, that there's nothing to see here. That's what we've been told now for the past two years. Yet you've got the State Board of Elections making a a 72-hour rule change or 48-hour rule change right before the start of the election, whether people can or can't view the opening of polls during early voting. You've got that happening. Now you've got this Wake County Board of Elections assistant that is being let go from his post apparently because there's too many workers, yet looking at the party affiliation and breakdown, there are so many more Democrats than there are Republicans, nearly 200 times. So it's just, again, building into the narrative and setting up people to come up with the mindset that things might be a little bit nefarious and might not make sense. And that's the problem. You open the door for criticism and controversy when you do crap like this. When you make a last-minute rule change, 48 hours before the election, when you let go of people because the precincts that you assign them to are, quote, full, you, have, you the, the State Board of Elections, and in this story, the Wake County Board of Elections, have opened yourself to the criticism. And now, I don't have any sympathy for you at all. Because you've done this. You've single-handedly decided this is the solution and this is the avenue you want to take moving forward. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. We've got a couple callers hanging on the line here this morning. Caller, good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Nick. It's Bruce Kemp calling back. Hey, you know, Bruce. What's up? Done, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing great. Hey, you know, <clears throat> there's been processes that have been in place in the past where the various parties haven't put forward nominating uh, precinct assistants, and we're doing that now. And we had like 600 people apply, but only like 200 people got through the process, maybe about a third for getting uh, sufficiently employed by the county, basically, in order to work. The challenge is we also have so many people who want to work in their own precinct rather than working somewhere else. And so we need to help our precinct assistants uh, volunteer to to work in other precincts where if, if you've got no no uh, Republicans in a precinct. You need to ask the Democrats in nearby precincts, are you willing to work over this nearby precinct so that you can have R's and D's in equal number as required by law? The challenge is sometimes the staff just doesn't have all of the information in a timely manner in order to make those assignments, or the board doesn't have that information to make the proper appointment. So it's, it's a challenge, and this is why I'll keep encouraging folks to sign up to be a precinct assistant and actually be a judge, because um, the, the the job of being a judge is not that much different from being a precinct assistant. Um, being a chief judge is dramatically different. But the other jobs as a judge are not. So I just encourage people to sign up, get through the onboarding process, make yourself available, be as flexible as you can be, so that you can be appointed to places where we can, can get closer to having the same number of Republicans and Democrats in every precinct. 
Well, and you make a great point this morning, and I appreciate your call. And the, you know, part of the criticism here from John Kane Jr. is exactly what Bruce just mentioned that the Republican Party and the political parties have a right to bring these people forward and submit them. And he is now levying and claiming that not only did the Wake County GOP not back him up on this, but that the state GOP and Chairman Michael Watley didn't either. We'll grab a quick commercial break here at 849. We've got some more phone callers hanging on the air as well, and we'll get to the net more details on this story coming up. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980. The Wave. It's 8.53. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News as we round out a Friday edition, taking a final look at your Friday forecast. 43 degrees in Wilmington right now. It is 50 down at Oak Island. Nice warm spot here this morning. And temperatures will be jumping into the lower and middle 70s for your day today. 72 degrees is the high temperature call. A gorgeous day and night for week 10 of high school football. All right, we're taking a look at a story out of Carolina Journal this morning surrounding a Republican who claims that he was dropped from the uh, being an assistant uh, with the Wake County Board of Elections working inside of uh, early voting and Election Day precincts. He's claiming he, it was done because of party affiliation. Uh, the Wake County Board claims it's because uh, he was a, quote, first-timer and that they had too many people staffed at the precinct that they assigned him to in the first place. It's an odd state of affairs. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Jeff's hanging on the line this morning. Jeff, good morning, sir. Go ahead. Good morning. Um. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, the reason they do any of this stuff is because they want to cheat. Let's just be honest. Well, you Let's know, Jeff, I, uh, Jeff, I have to say this. And, and uh, you know, I'm not somebody that wants to run around and accuse and, and just say that everything that's being done is nefarious. But when you just make the same, when you just decide over and over again to make poor last minute late decisions with no transparency and a whole bunch of ambiguity, what am I supposed to think? I mean, am right. I supposed to have another opinion on it? Oh, yeah, this makes sense. It's not like the State Board of Elections didn't have the last six months to come out with this rule. They definitely needed to do it on October the 19th. It's it's just so dis- it's so unfortunate. Well, and and if if you or me are running, you or myself are running an election with, in anything, I don't care if it's for, for, you know, class president, you want to be transparent with who wins. Okay, with it, what's the problem with this? I don't see what the problem is unless you unless you have... A, like you said, a nefarious uh, agenda. Yeah, and go and back to, you know, we, we talked to... What's the problem? Well, we talked to Bruce Kemp earlier this morning, and, and you know, from his claim is, oh, well, the, the there's a, a more um, a unified approach to looking at the, the polls, and that's a good thing. I don't see how... What's the negative? What's the downside of having more people, more eyeballs, and more questions yeah. being asked of our elections? I just, I don't see the downside of it anywhere. And the trust, you know, go back to Reagan, trust but verification. That's fine. That works. It continues to work. And and what happens is, is then and then we, then then what you can do is get people disheartened about voting. And I what? think there's some of that in this agenda too. You well, know, my vote may not actually count. Okay, exactly. Because we can, you know, and if there's question about it, and someone else, someone else you know, that, that, that over time that starts to, you know, you see that in people, and you know, that's where we don't need to be in our in our republic. So, um, you know, this is this is very disheartening and people should be upset. I, there should be a lawsuit filed. Yeah, well, and, and 
you know, this this information has, uh, from what I understand, is you know, currently being run up um, the flagpole to the to the state GOP. But you bring up you bring up a, a, a huge problem here, Jeff. The election is in eighteen days, and no lawsuit that is going to be brought forward exactly. is going to is going to return a result in a timely manner. Which is another huge problem within itself, too. Is how do you? How do you get your? How do you get in front of a court in a in a fair manner in a fair time in a in a short time window? Now, of course, you can't ask every single lawsuit to be handled in a, a five day period of time. But when you've got something like this that is so time sensitive, there's almost no point of bringing a lawsuit for it because it won't matter. They won't get hurt until probably the beginning of next year. Yeah, and that that's another reason they do it right at the last minute. They know. You don't have time, and the election results are done. We can't redo the election. Absolutely. So there you have it. Yeah. Well, you know, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Jeff. Have a great weekend. Appreciate your call this morning. And again, I hate to be, I hate, I don't want to sit here and be the guy that is yelling and screaming about inconsistency in elections and voter fraud and everything else. That, that, I don't, I don't intend to do that. That's, that's a different show. You can watch that stuff online. But how am I supposed to have confidence? How am I supposed to have trust in a system? When time after time, the governing body that looks over elections in the state of North Carolina, the, new, the, the North Carolina State Board of Elections, when they make last-minute, late decisions and don't have justifications for them. If you need to make a last-minute decision and you have justification for it and you say, hey, we had this policy, but early voting started and... This went down a way that we weren't expecting it, so we're making a change. All right, I might still not agree with it, but you've made a change and you've justified your actions. But when you do it 48 hours before early voting begins with zero justification, which I read the memo, it has no justification in it at all, you've now invited criticisms and questions about transparency. And I think it is safe to sit, as I sit here this morning, I think it is a fair assessment to say unequivocally, without a doubt, that the North Carolina State Board of Elections is not interested in transparency. They've done so many things. They tried proposing a rule that election poll workers could not go out of the same door as poll, uh, poll workers. Because somehow using the same door would cause there to be problems with the election. Folks, this is is your North Carolina State Board of Elections. The only way to beat them is get out and vote in droves, vote red, and support your conservative and Republican candidates. That's going to do it for a Friday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. We're back Monday morning starting at 6, right here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Have a great weekend. From the John Bullard Insurance Studio, 107. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.